My name is Guy. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at the church. It's my privilege to open the Bible with you today. So grab your Bible if you don't have one. Ushers will appear with Bibles and hand you one, and you can follow along with us. Once you get that Bible, open up to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9. One of the most amazing conversations that I've ever experienced in my life took place with a complete stranger. It was 6 a.m. early one morning, and I received what I assumed was a random wrong number phone call. So we're going to go all the way back, roll the tape back to 1983, and a time of great discouragement in my life. So I was a church planter in Southern Oregon. I had been there for five years um, at work planting this church, and it was super hard. And in five years, we had been in like seven different locations. So we were like the children of Israel. We just kept moving and moving and moving. And I was totally discouraged, to be honest with you. We had a church office, and on this particular day, I got up early to go and pray. I'm, like, I'm just going to go and seek the Lord. And I went in, and it was 6 a.m., and I'm in my office, and I'm starting to pray, and the phone rings. Now, some of you are going to understand what I'm saying, and some of you are not going to understand but the phone was connected to the wall. <laughs> and it was, it was one of those phones. It was like a business phone, and it had different lines on it. And the lines had lights that lit up. And we had two lines. We had a rollover line. So the main church number is line one, and the light would come on if that was ringing. And then if you had a second call, the second light would come on. This is high tech. And, and you'd know, oh, well, that was, that's not even our real phone number. That's just a random phone number. And so I'm there, and what happened was I get a phone call on line two. That means it's not even the church phone number. So what do I do? I pick up the phone. It's 6 a.m. I know it's the wrong number, and I pick up the phone, a total slave to the phone. I pick up the phone, and I'm like, good morning. Um, you have the wrong number. <laughs> Why did I answer? I, I pick up the phone. Good morning. You have the wrong number. And the voice on the other end of the line, I'm not kidding you. This is what they said. They said, this is not a wrong number. I have a message from God for you. I'm like, now I got a crazy on the line. <laughs> That's literally what I thought. I thought, I got a crazy on the line. I came here to pray. And I got a crazy lady on the line. And uh, this lady says, I have a message from God for you. And she says, I'm going to tell you a story. I lost everything in my life. I lost my marriage, my family. I lost my home. I lost all my possessions. And, and I ended up completely broke. And all I had left to my name was one dime. And I went to J.J. Newberry's. Now we're going to test you again. J.J. Newberry's department store, of which the last J.J. Newberry's in the United States of America closed in Portland, Oregon in 2001. Just a sidebar. She said, I have one dime. I went to J.J. Newberry's, because you could get a cup of coffee for a dime. And so 
I went in there and I got, with my last dime, a cup of coffee and I sat down to drink the coffee and a voice spoke to me and said, in everything, give thanks. And she said, so that's what I did. I gave thanks to God for that cup of coffee. She said, do you know what happened? From that point forward, God turned my entire life around. She said, I have a message from God for you today. She said, today, you need to give thanks to God. And she said, God has not forgotten you, and God's going to do great things. Now, my jaw is on the floor for two reasons. One is because this whole crazy conversation is happening. But the other thing is, true story, I'm on the second floor of an office complex, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm looking across a vacant field and a parking lot, and there's a gigantic J.J. Newberry store directly in my line of sight. It's the only thing I could see. And if you remember, giant J.J. Newberries. And this lady's telling me the story, and I'm like, J.J. Newberries? And I'm looking at this, and it just blew my mind. And so she's like, that's it, goodbye. She hangs up. <laughs> you know what I did? I got on my knees. Now, I had been praying, but not on my knees. So I'm like, I got to up the ante. I got on my knees, and I repented of my bad attitude. And I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And I just began to thank the Lord. Now, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. This is what happened. Just a few hours later, that same day, a guy named Randy came walking through the office door. He was one of our elders at the church. And he said, I've come with amazing news. He said, and he was the guy, he was like a realtor. He was trying to find us property. He said, I have amazing news. Last night I was at a school district meeting and I was able to get the school district to approve selling us this building, this school building. And it was in the rest of all the finances and everything. And, and we're going to be able to pull this off. And he said, this is a miracle. And I'm like, <laughs> just overwhelmed with this experience. Isn't that amazing? Now, the reason why I'm telling you this is because you need to know sometimes God breaks into our lives in unexpected ways and he gives us exactly what we need in order to keep moving forward in our faith and in following Jesus. God gives us what we need. And that brings us to our story because that's what we're going to find in our story today in the Gospel of Luke. So go with me there, Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 28 as we continue this incredible journey in the Gospel of Luke. Luke 9, 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. 
And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered into the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Well, there it is. It's an episode that we call the Transfiguration. It was the most radical over-the-top, sensory overload experience that the disciples had ever had. And they had had a lot of amazing experiences with Jesus. I was thinking this week about the conversation that might have taken place around the campfire at night amongst the disciples. I'm imagining one of the disciples turning to Peter and saying, Hey, Peter, do you remember that time when Jesus cast the demon out of that guy and it went into the pigs and they ran down the hill and they hurled themselves over the cliff into the Sea of Galilee. That was amazing. (laughs) Hey, Peter, do you remember that time we were on the Sea of Galilee and we're out in the boat and there's this huge storm and we thought we were going to die and Jesus was sleeping and we woke him up and he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and there was a total calm. That was amazing. (laughs) Do you remember that time? We went into someone's house and it was so crowded and suddenly the roof began to break apart and they lowered a guy down on ropes and he was paralyzed and Jesus healed him and forgave his sins. That was amazing. Oh yeah, well what about that time where he took a few loaves and fish and he multiplied them and fed 5,000? That was amazing. But you know what? It was nothing compared to this. This is the experience that outshines every experience they had ever had in all of their time with Jesus. This experience was so over the top that they couldn't even talk about it. You notice what it said at the end of this paragraph in verse 36, when the voice, uh, when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. This was, they didn't talk about this at the campfire. They didn't even, they couldn't talk about it. It's like they had no words. They had no categories. They couldn't even parse the thing out. They just kept quiet for a long time. But I promise you, they never, ever forgot for the rest of their lives that moment. And the reason we know that is because Peter tells us so. If you go to the book of 2 Peter, off towards the book of Revelation, you'll find 2 Peter. And it's at the end of his life, very end of Peter's life. He tells us so in this letter. Listen to what Peter says. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, 
And the voice was born to him in the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. This is the end of Peter's life. He was lodged in his head and in his heart. He never forgot. In fact, it was an experience so powerful that it shaped his thinking. It shaped who he was as a person. He could never shake it. He never wanted to shake it. You know, it was a defining experience in his life. It's awesome. Okay, so what does it mean for us? Like, what is this amazing experience in the gospel, transfiguration? What does that mean for our lives? as Christ followers today. That's what I want to talk about this morning. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you four, not three, four interpretive keys to unpack the meaning of this passage for our lives. And interpretive key number one is the prayer of Jesus. Did you notice how this thing began with the prayer of Jesus? It mentions prayer two times. Verse 28, now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James and went onto the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. This experience was a result of prayer. Interpretive key number one is the prayer of Jesus. Now, the last time that we saw Jesus praying on a mountain was way back in Luke chapter 6, and you might recall the Bible says Jesus went up on the mountain to pray, and he prayed all night. And then in the morning, when he came down from the mountain, what did he do? He appointed 12 apostles. So he looked at his disciples, and he started appointing apostles. And so I think the implication is Jesus was on the mountain, and who is he praying for? He's praying for his disciples, He's praying for them, and he comes down and he appoints these apostles. Okay, but take a look a little closer to home here. Go to chapter 9 and in verse 18. It says, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who did the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. And others said, Elijah or others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And that's, man, that's a turning point in the gospel. That's a super important moment in all of their lives. And when did that important moment happen? It happened when Jesus was praying. Oh, but wait. Isn't this a weird expression? Have you ever noticed this in verse 18? Now, it happened that as he was praying alone, that the disciples were with him. I've always found that almost humorous. How could you be praying alone if the disciples are with you? It doesn't make any sense. He's not alone. No, he's praying alone, but the disciples are with him, right? It's just such a beautiful picture. Because he asks you the question, what is Jesus praying about? Who is he praying for? He's praying for those disciples. The disciples are always with Jesus, if not physically, then in his heart. He cares about them. He's 
ministering to them. He's working in their lives. He's making something of their lives as Christ followers. And so there he prays. He's praying for the disciples. And what happens is when Peter makes his confession, I'll tell you what, Jesus has been praying for them that their eyes would be open, that their hearts would be open, that their understanding would be open so they could see who Jesus truly is in their very presence. It raises a question for us. Why did this episode that we call the transfiguration, why did it even happen? Why, why did that have to happen? And I think the implied answer is it had to happen for the disciples. See, it wasn't for Jesus. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows the glory of the Father. Jesus knows all this. It's not for Jesus. It's for the disciples. And the reason why is because this is what they need in order to continue to follow Jesus through everything that they're going to have to face in the upcoming journey as they go to Jerusalem. This is what they need. And you know what? Without this, they're not going to make it. I think we have to remember the setting here. Let's think about the context where this transfiguration takes place. Jesus had just revealed something to the disciples that must have shaken them to the core of their being. So look again in chapter 9. We'll go back a few verses again to verse 21. After Peter confessed he was the Christ, Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and killed and on the third day raised. And he said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, you know, if you're a Christian, that's familiar language to you. This was not familiar language to them. This is the first time they had heard any of this. And you cannot even begin to imagine how shocking this must have been to them. This idea that you're the Christ, oh, that's such an awesome thing. But that Jesus would immediately talk about suffering and the cross that he would go to. And then not only that, you have to take up your cross. We adorn our building with the cross. We use cross as jewelry. Oh, but in the ancient world, the cross was the greatest shame torture and shame and the disciples their heads are spinning they're going we can't even compute what you're saying and not only you but us too and you know what that's a lot to take in how are they going to keep going forward how are they going to make it how are they going to face all the challenges that are right before them in the coming weeks how will they do that Jesus knows exactly what they need and so he gives them an experience he gives them the spiritual experience that they need in order to continue to, do, to move forward as followers of Christ. All right, so what does that mean for you? What does that mean for our lives? Well, let me tell you a couple things. Jesus, number one, he cares. He cares about your spiritual experience. Jesus knows what you need in order to follow, to continue following. And he knows how to get that to you. That's what I see in this passage. You know what it means? It means you need to pay attention to your life. Pay attention. You see, not everyone's going to have the same experience. 
Did you know that in this passage, only three disciples got to go up on the mountain? Peter, James, and John, they get to go up on the mountain. And a lot of people say, well, they were sort of an inner circle, and that's why they went up there. Well, maybe, but the truth is we don't know. But this is what they needed. And so Jesus gives them this experience, but the rest of the disciples, they did not get that experience. Not everyone will have the same spiritual experiences. One day I was at a conference center and they had this like circular staircase that went up to this little loft at the top where people were hanging out. So I'm like, I'm going to go up to the loft. So I started walking up these stairs and I got almost to the top and this girl comes down. She's walking down these stairs and she had a look on her face. It was just like glowing like Moses on the mountain. She's coming down ethereal. It looked like she was floating. I don't know if her feet were even touching the carpet. And I looked at her, I said, what happened to you? And she said, I've just seen Jesus, and there's nothing that he cannot do. And you know what I did? I picked up my pace. I said, I'm going to get up to the loft. <laughs> She's going down. I'm like, I'm getting up there. You know, I came up to the loft. I'm like, where's Jesus? You know, I didn't have that experience. That was her experience. I've never had another phone call, like the phone call I had at 6 a.m. in an office looking at Newberries out my window. I've never, that's never happened again, all right? But it was real, and it's what I needed on that day. What do you need in your life? The Lord knows. He knows. Don't worry about other people's spiritual experience, but pay attention in your own life because Jesus is going to give you what you need to continue moving forward in Christ. Interpretive key number two is the word glory. So look again in Luke chapter 9. This passage is filled with the theme of God's glory, with language that's really lifted from the Old Testament. But everything about it sort of radiates glory, doesn't it? Let's, let's look through it again because it's so cool. In verse 29, it says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. His clothing became dazzling white. That's glorious. Two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, what did they see? They saw the glory of Jesus. And the two men who stood with him. And so Peter wants to build a tabernacle. But as he was talking about that in verse 34, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid. And the voice spoke from the cloud. Now, those of you who know the Old Testament, you know that all of this is imagery, which is taken from the Old Testament, from the book of Exodus. And it's really taken from the encounter that Moses had with the presence of God. And so let's just read a couple of verses from Exodus so you can get the context. Exodus 24, verses 15 through 17. It'll give you a snapshot of Moses on the mountain. Now, he's up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai. It says, then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud, there's the cloud, covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. 
That's big stuff. That's the experience of Moses. And you notice that on the seventh day he went. And it's interesting that Luke says that eight days after he told them about the cross, eight days later, they had this experience. Some people ask the question, well, why was it eight days? And there's speculation that's because it's showing that the glory revealed in Jesus is a step beyond Moses. It's, it's just further and further into the glory of God. I like that idea. But glory is a key theme and an interpretive key to our passage. Glory is a huge God word in the Bible. It's this luminous, shining, powerful word. Every time you see the glory of God in Scripture, it's big. It's overwhelming. It's astounding. And glory is a theme right here. Now, it's as if God has pulled back the veil and allowed the disciples to see something that has been hidden from their sight throughout the life of Jesus. It's a reality, but they could not see it. In fact, we have the clue to all this early in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. Do you remember what happened when the shepherds were out in their field keeping their flocks by night? And what appeared to the shepherds? An angel choir singing in glory and singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those who are the recipients of God's favor. It's really, in, in the Gospel of Luke, it's one of the all-time, thousand-watt, all-lights, full-sound system, powered-up, glory moment. And the shepherds are like, whoa, that's amazing. Let's go to town and see this child. And so they ran, and they came to a stable. And there they found what? An infant wrapped in rags. No angel choir. No luminous vestry, even though you'll find that on your Christmas cards. Nothing bedecked with gold or halos. They found some farm animals, an odd smell, and an infant wrapped in rags. And here's what we realize. All that glory, the glory of God, it's all veiled in the person of Jesus, in the humanity of Jesus. There's the glory of God, God incarnate, but it's hidden. It's hidden from view. And now, at this critical moment, when the disciples, they have to face the cross, Jesus faces the cross, they have to pick up their own cross, and they're realizing, this is tough stuff, man. How are we gonna keep going? And all of a sudden, God says, I, I gotta do something for you. I'm gonna pull back the curtain so that you can see the glory. You have to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus or you're never going to make it. And they get to have that incredible experience. You notice how in the passage, all of the spotlight goes on to Jesus. They look and they see the glory of Jesus. The voice says, this is my son. Listen to him. All the focus is on Jesus. What does it mean for our lives? Here's what it means. Spiritual experiences are good, but they're not enough. All the spiritual experiences you have, they're awesome, they're good, but they're not enough. Why? Because above all things, you need to see the glory of Jesus. 
We need to see the glory of Jesus. That's what we need the most in our lives. Now, it's, it's just like a theme in the New Testament. It just keeps coming back over and over again. Have you seen the glory of Jesus? Have you seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus? Huge theme in the Bible. Paul knew this, the Apostle Paul. He saw the glory of Jesus. You know, he was off persecuting Christians when he got knocked off his horse and he looked up and he saw a great light and he went, that's not a light, that's Jesus. He saw the glory of Jesus. He never forgot it. Take a look at this. Let's just go one time to the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul's like, that's the thing that keeps me going. <laughs> Through everything, that's the vision that's in front of me. It's powerful. You know, if you keep reading a little bit further in 2 Corinthians, you get to this really interesting passage. I'll start in 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart, though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, they are eternal. Isn't that amazing? You see, I mean, you can look at an earthly level, you can look at the things that are seen, they're all temporary, they're only going to get you so far. But the things that are unseen, which is the glory of Jesus, that's going to get you further. That's the thing that you need to see. In fact, what Paul says is that all of our sufferings, if you're to measure them, and they feel so enormously weighty in our lives, he says they're like nothing compared to the weight of glory. But do you see it? Peter saw it. They never forgot it. John, he saw it. And he wrote his gospel, and we call it the gospel of glory because the word of God became flesh, and we beheld his glory. Glory of Jesus, he says in John chapter 1. James, he saw it. You know, James was the very first apostle to be put to death for his faith. Acts chapter 12, the very first. James was put to death. He wasn't afraid. He was prepared. You know why? Because he had seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He had seen beyond the veil. And that carried him, carried him through. Such an important topic. What does it mean for our lives? Above all, we need to see the glory of Jesus. We need more than just Christian advice. You know, there's a lot of great advice in the Bible. There's a lot of great principles in the Bible about how to live and how to be like Jesus. But we need more than that. We need more than advice. We need to see the glory of God in Jesus. We need to know more than how Jesus would vote in the next election. It's not enough to know, would Jesus be, vote Republican or Democrat, okay? That's only going to get you so far. You need more than that. We need to know something more than what's going on in the Middle East. What's on the news feed? What's going to happen in Iran? What's going to happen with the, the conflict that might happen? It'll only get you so far. You need something more than that. We need to know more than what our neighbors think about us as followers of Christ. 
We can freak out. You know, Pete, we're unpopular now as Christians in Borland. I don't know what I'm going to do. You need something more than to know what your neighbors think. You know what you need? You need to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That means you need to look up. Brothers and sisters, we need to look up. Look up from your device. Look up from your news feed. Look up from your circumstances. Look up from the Middle East crisis. Look up from the opinions of people around you about Jesus or the church. Look up and look past all of that and see the glory of Jesus, and that will sustain you. That's what this passage means. But there's another interpretive key. Number three is the content of the conversation that they had on the mountain. So go back to Luke chapter 9. The content of the conversation, isn't it amazing? The disciples are there, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up. Don't ask me, you know, to, to tell you the details of how that happened. That's just a God thing. It's like, and they know that's Moses and Elijah. I don't know how they knew. They're just like, that's Moses and Elijah. And they're talking to Jesus, and they're overhearing the most important conversation of their lives that moment. Have you ever listened in on someone else's conversation? I know that you have. I know that you have. You're in the restaurant, you know. I'm in the restaurant with my wife. I was at a restaurant in Seattle. You know, we, it was like a special weekend, and we went out on Friday night, and we're, we're at our table, and it's just me and my bride. It's amazing, and this guy walks in and sits down next to us at the table. Young guy, nice-looking guy, you know. It's like, oh, it's you know, Seattle, this is the way they roll in Seattle. And, and all of a sudden, this gal walks in and walks over to his table, and they introduce each other, and I realize what this is. This is one of those internet dates. This is me. I'm like, this is one of those internet. They have an app. They, they, they hooked up on the internet somehow, and I'm like, And then they, and it's so awkward. They're like introducing themselves and it's just super awkward. And I'm fascinated by this. I'm eating my salad, looking at my wife going. <laughs> and then, and then I, I realized this guy's a Christian because he starts raising this Christian flag. Like early in the conversation, I'm like, awesome. Awesome. I start praying for him. <laughs> Lord, bless him. <laughs> bless him, you know. And he's saying, yeah, I'm really involved in my church, and, you know, Jesus is really important to me. I'm like, wow, awesome. And the gal is like, well, I'm not very religious. I'm like, ooh, how is this going to go? So, I mean, seriously, my wife and I were just complete. We may as well have had a chair at the table. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. I know that you've done this. <laughs> Okay, here's Peter, James, and John. They get a seat at the table of the most important conversation that basically has ever taken place. And they get to overhear this conversation. And the content of that conversation is, is a key. It's an interpretive key to the whole thing. What are they talking about? What is it that they're talking about? Well, it tells us right here in the text. Take a look at it. It says in verse 31, they appeared in glory and spoke about his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. What are they talking about? They're talking about 
Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. What's going to happen there? His departure. They're talking about the death of Christ. They're talking about the cross of Christ. But the word departure doesn't just mean death. It means moving on. It means this journey through something. And I believe what they're talking about is they're talking about the cross, his sacrificial love on the cross, and the victory of his resurrection. That's what they're talking about. Amazing. Powerful. What does it mean? What does it mean for our lives? Well, where will you find the glory of Jesus? Like we have to see the glory of God in Jesus. We have to or we're not going to make it. But where will we find it? You say, well, I, I don't have those kinds of experiences like you do, you know. I just, I don't know. I've never had one. Maybe I will tomorrow, but I don't know. I'm not going to be on the mountain like them, so how am I going to see the glory of Jesus? Well, here's your answer. What are they talking about? They're talking about the cross and the resurrection. And who is it? Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law and Elijah the prophets. It's like this theme in the Gospel of Luke, the law and the prophets, they all point to Jesus. You know what it is? It's God's way of telling us you'll find the glory of Jesus in the scriptures as they illuminate the cross and the resurrection. That's where you'll find the glory of God in Christ. Yeah, but I don't have that experience on the mountain. Oh, but you have the scriptures. You have the same scriptures that they have, the disciples have. And they begin to learn and understand how Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and how the cross and the resurrection was everything that was being pointed to in this. What does it mean for our lives? Here's what it means. Turn off your device. Turn off your news feed. Stop worrying about politics. Stop worrying about the Middle East. All right? Shut down your Facebook for a little while. And open your Bible. Open your Bible and read the story of God in Scripture that points to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will work through it. And he'll start to show you the glory of Jesus. And it's going to strengthen you to move forward in your life. Here's a key. Here's a clue. What were they talking about? His departure. Do you know what the word departure in this text is literally the word exodus? Do you have a footnote in your Bible? Some of your Bibles will have a little footnote by the word departure. And you look in the footnote, it'll say Exodus, his exodus, because literally in the Greek, it's exodus. Well, it can't be a coincidence that you've got Moses uh, referred to, a mountain, a cloud, glory, you know, and the voice of God, exactly like what happened in the book of Exodus, and they're talking about his exodus. Why? Because you see, this, the story of exodus is the story of our salvation. You have the Lamb of God that was slain. In the book of Exodus, you have the parting of the Red Sea, which is God's power like the resurrection in Exodus. It's amazing. Spend some time in the Bible, folks. Pray, pray, pray. God, show me your glory. Show me the glory of Jesus because that's what I need, Lord, in order to make it in my life. Interpretive key number four is the command to listen to Jesus, the Son of God. Now, that's where the story lands. So if you look at chapter 9, the voice comes in verse 35 and says, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So that's the pinnacle moment of the story. 
Everything drives to this point. All the glory, all the amazing stuff, Moses and Elijah, what they were talking about, the prayers of Jesus, everything just goes right like this to the point. Here's the point. Listen to Jesus. How are you going to make it? How are you going to keep going forward no matter what happens in life? Even through your own death or fear of death, how are you going to make it? You're going to listen to Jesus. Jesus has the answer. Jesus is the answer. The word listen means more than just hear. It actually means to hear and respond. It's like respond to Jesus. Listen to him as Lord. Listen to him as the, the one who loves you so much he went to the cross. Listen to him as the one who rose on the third day and is victorious over every name that can be named. Listen to Jesus who defeated death and he leads the way through his exodus and we just come behind him in this exodus of our own salvation of coming to glory with Jesus. Like listen to Jesus. That's how we're gonna make it in life. It's powerful, powerful, powerful picture. So I want to commend this to you as a, a um, unusual story in the Bible. There's none like it, an unusual experience. It's there for you. It's not there for Jesus. It's there for you. And Jesus cares about your life and your spiritual experience and that you see his glory and that you see it in the Bible, in Scripture and that you listen and let it soak deep into your heart and ignite your faith. Let's say a prayer together right now. Thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your word and this marvelous, marvelous story that we have. Thank you, Lord, that you care so much about the disciples, Lord. You knew what they needed. You gave it to them. And then we get to eavesdrop on them and see how you work in lives, Lord. Lord, we so desperately want to see your glory. Help us, Lord, to pay attention to what you might be doing, how you might be speaking in our lives, Lord. Help us, Lord, to look up from all the temporal things to see the eternal, to see Jesus. Help us, Lord. Bless now, Lord, as we come to the table, communion. Bless us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit to reveal the glory of God in Jesus to us and help us to listen, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.